Hello and welcome to episode 145 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray here trying to grab as much rest as possible ahead of a ridiculously busy schedule of major men's and women's tournaments. Golf taking centre stage five times between now and the first week of August. Did you know that, Mike? I didn't. No. That's... Did the numbers this morning and there's actually there's a real lot of golf coming up and some really interesting. Three of those five are women's majors and today we have a special guest along to talk about. One of them in particular, as well as a global initiative to get more women involved in golf. Emma Ballard from Women and Golf along in just a moment to talk. Women's British Open at Walton Heath, International Women's Golf Day and no doubt much more. But let's start a little closer to home. In studio with me is good, good co-founder and it turns out golf tipping savant. Adrian Logue, is it just dumb luck, or do you really know what you're doing with the tipping every week on the Golf Australia Playing from the Tips pod? I have my methods, which I won't reveal, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll just say that it's um, uh, it's it's a combination of skill and luck. Even a blind squirrel occasionally finds an acorn. Is that the... I'm, I'm beating 50-50 odds, basically. I'm... Beaming in via the wonders of technology, Golf Australia Magazine Deputy and Digital Editor Jimmy Emanuel, who might just entertain us with a visit. Is it from from your landlord for an inspection on the, the unit today? Jimmy, who's coming to the unit that's going to be in the background for us today? No, we're going to fire safety inspection. Fire so they're going to come in and check my uh, smoke detector, I think. I'm excited. Yeah, I, look, you just don't get that on the other golf podcasts. You don't. This you is don't. the sort of innovation, and these are the paths we're treading that others fear to. So I'm really to looking be fa- forward to that. To be fair, not long ago I had a – uh, some sort of inspection that was organised by the apartment building, and the guy loved golf and saw golf stuff in my house. Got all excited. I couldn't get rid of him. So hopefully, it's not the same guy. <laughs> or maybe I you gave him. Have you I gave a him a copy of the magazine. You can, you can bring him on in. He can add to the conversation. I gave him a copy of the magazine. He asked me to sign it for him. So there you go. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I gave him a box of golf balls to get rid of him because there's a lot of golf equipment in this house. And I was just like, here you go. Take these. That here is uh, outstanding. The only autographed copy of Golf Australia magazine. I'm going to want one of those now. Everyone will want one. Last by no okay. means least, we crossed to Old Blighty where we find Emma Ballard. Fresh off media day at Walton Heath yesterday, which I'm very interested to hear about. And also follow the good oil on International Women's Golf Day, which it looks to me, Emma, actually runs for a week. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. This is the first year that's running for a whole week. Um, so probably to go back a little bit, I've been, an, uh, well, I'm supposed to be a UK ambassador. I'm not sure I've been a very good ambassador this year, to be honest. I've been a bit busy with other things, but, uh, my association with it goes back to the second year, which I think was in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've volunteered, uh, with Women's Golf Day since then, but I will admit to being a pretty poor ambassador, well, apart from the stuff we do on women in golf. what we're here to fix today. Uh, the last year. <laughs> it sounds pretty self-explanatory. Tell us a bit about the, the idea behind International Women's Golf Day, because like so many of these things, I think it started with one person who had an idea that we should do this, did it not? Yeah, so it started by an American called Elisa Gorday. Um, she's had a long-standing relationship with the golf industry before 2016, um, and yeah, she saw that gap and that need to maybe elevate women's golf. And, you know, at the time, you know, with social media and the way it worked, it was a really good idea to have um, a hashtag a day, something that we could use as a, as a tool to get talking about women's golf. And also at the same time, she, she had the idea to make it as a global celebration, but that also involved events as well. So the idea was always to split it. So you'd have half, it was sort of meant to be a four hour experience two hours spent on golf, two hours socialising, bringing women, um, golfers, non-golfers together to, you know, to give exposure to to women who haven't played before. And then also just to, to have a celebration for those that are already sort of in love with the game. And then, you know, it sort of get that exploded out on social media. So it's sort of elevated it over, well, over across the world, to be honest. So the problem with all of these things in golf, Logue, is we talk to golfers, how do we make sure this goes beyond? If you're going to have an international women's golf day, what you need to talk to is women who don't yet play golf. I don't reckon we do a very good job of that, which is not to say that international women's golf day is not a good idea. It's a fabulous initiative, and it's important that people within golf be giving thought to how we promote the game better to women. Mm. But does it go outside, and how do we do that? I think it is events like this. I'm just looking on Emma's website, womenandgolf.com. There's an article about women's golf day ringing in the New York Stock Exchange bell. And that's that's something that's pretty impressive. That is pretty good, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Right, good work, done that. That's the Did second you're... time they've done it. So that happened today wow. over in New York. Um, 
And again, that that's happened since they've now grown beyond just the, the sort of one person team. Yeah. Uh, and the volunteers have grown. They've now got, you know, partners in a cushionette. And I think also over the time they have Titleist obviously included in that. Um, and other brands have got involved, Callaway and, and things like that. So it's just, it's grown exponentially in those, well, in the seven years, the eighth, sorry, eighth year that we are now yeah. celebrating it. What do you reckon about that, Emma? How do we get outside golf to talk about golf? And this isn't just about women's golf. This is golf generally, and we talk about this a lot on the show. The image of golf outside the game is not good, and we do an awful job of trying to change it. What do you reckon? Well, it's, it's really hard because, I I mean, I think you were one of the first people I remember saying years ago about golf talking to golf, and I often recount that to other people, saying that's we're very good at it. We, you know, we, we absolutely smash the PR and marketing amongst ourselves, you know, how it's a great game. Here's the health benefits. You should get involved, bring your friends and stuff like that. And I think it's always been down to us as individuals to help grow the sport and get that word out there really more so than just through the titles that we may work for or the the brands or organisations that we work for. And I think Women's Golf Day has done a really good job of that because the idea is for the locations themselves to actually bring non-golfing women in. And that's that's been their incentive. And until this year, it was always to do it on that first Tuesday of June. Um, but there is a problem with that model from the point of view, I don't know what it is in Australia as such, but obviously in the UK, Tuesday, and I think it's the same in the States, you know, Tuesday is Ladies' Day at the golf club. So it worked out really well. The courses are quiet. They can get more women on. But there was backlash for actually from a lot of golfers saying, well, you're just you're just hammering home that stereotype saying, well, only women can come and play golf on a Tuesday. And what about the women that are working? And what happens if your events at 10 o'clock in the morning? How's, how are you going to get more people to it? So I think eventually it got to, down to the point where you need to have it. Uh, well, most of these things like International Women's Day in March is, is the 8th of March and it rotates on obviously days of the week. Whereas um, the organisers of Women's Golf Day were very adamant it should be the first Tuesday of June. So the date always changed. Um, so it's really good that this year they've actually looked at having it a week. So you can have your 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 actual event any time in that week. And I think really their idea is that the 6th, which is next Tuesday, which is the first Tuesday of June, will be the sort of bringing it all together, the big celebration on that day, yeah. is, is the impression I've been given. Jimmy, we seem to be playing a lot of the old hits here, don't we? None of the things we're talking about here are kind of new. Do you reckon we're moving forward? This is a question for you too, Emma. I feel like we are, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on whether we're moving forward with women and golf. What do you reckon, Jimmy? Do we seem to keep going over the same old ground with this stuff? Oh, I think there's an element of covering the same stuff, but you have to sort of cover the same stuff as well as try and innovate and move forward with it as well. Um, I think... I think you're exactly right that it's talking to golfers about how good golf is very often. But um, I think things like International Women's Golf Day, uh, recognising people in golf, so talking about golfers, is actually a good message for outside of golf because it makes it a more comfortable sport, a more comfortable industry, a more comfortable job option. If you look and there's a lot of people, I mean, Australian golf being the PGA and Golf Australia here, the organising bodies, I remember they took a photo not long ago of maybe it was last year for International Women's Golf Day, I'm assuming, or it might have even been uh, International Women's Day this year, of the women in the staff there across the all different. And the numbers were actually quite surprising of how many there were. Mm. And I think that message, if you then market it out, but those groups, their, their messaging, their websites, their social media, all talks to golfers. You don't follow them unless you're a golf person or you're interested in golf. So, how you push that marketing beyond is extremely difficult. So, it's I think I think it is covering the same stuff, but you have to cover that stuff because that's where the messaging is really. Mm. I mean, wh where else are you going to go with it to try and to push it more? I mean, um, you don't get to ask questions. I'm the host. I'm not have, I don't have to answer anything. I just have the questions. Stop that, Jimmy. What are you doing? I don't have the answers to that. There's part of the importance of this Logie, is it not? It's not just about trying to encourage more women to play golf, which has got a great business spin-off for those in the golf industry. As Jimmy's outlined there, getting more women involved in all sections of golf, including in administration, they don't have to be golfers for that, do they? But there's still a positive impact for golf beyond that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's so many things in golf and golf administration where men are the default mm -hmm. and, and that includes 
days, like every day is podcast men's golf host. day. I was going to say podcast yeah. hosting. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's just men are the default in every aspect. And yeah, I think this is, uh, you know, turn that around for one day at least and or a week now of, of, of activities where, you know, make women the default. In a weird way, I, I kind of feel like that's why uh, that sticking to a Tuesday might have felt like a safe thing. It's like, oh, we're, we're not taking anything away from the men by keeping it on a Tuesday. And well, I was going to say that the other thing about it is if you think about a Tuesday from a, from a professional level, that's the day when they're at, you know, um, doing, well, maybe not even doing the pro-am, but they're sort of getting ready for a tournament. So they used to get a huge amount of interaction you had PJ Tour players talking about it, LPJ Tour players uh, talking yeah. about it. And and that was the thing. I think the idea with the Tuesday was if you had it on a Saturday, you wouldn't be getting every single level of the game. You wouldn't necessarily be getting as much corporate interaction and stuff because people were having their weekend. So by having it on a Tuesday was a really good idea, actually, across the whole mm. of the industry to get everyone involved. And I, I could totally see that. But when the idea was that it was meant to be about events and getting people to come along to your golf club, you know, I used to, uh, we've done a few at my golf club and we do them in the evening on that Tuesday because we knew then we could hit other, you know, the people like me who was at work and things like that. But then you're saying, what well, about the kids at school? Like the girls at school, how do you get them to come along if, you know, they can't come along and do that sort of session? So there were so many issues with it. And obviously you do get a bit of backlash on social. And it was always about the fact that you're just stereotyping ladies day. But the one thing I wanted to say that I hadn't said already was the fact that I can't think of any other sport that's done that. And I just think it was so unique that golf was a sport that managed to get such a big exposure. I'm not mm. necessarily sure that I always believe the massive figures that come out, but that's idea that you've got from grassroots through to elite level, people talking about the women's side of the game all on the same day, all together. Mm. I'm not saying everyone was talking about it, but no. now everyone, as everyone does with anything on social media, everyone's jumped on that bandwagon. So regardless of whether you support Women's Golf Day or not, you'll find most brands will put some sort of post out on Women's Golf Day to show their support because they know that's the right thing to do, whether they believe in it or not. But from from the outside looking in, it's still a great thing that you've got so many people talking about it. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing from it is the fact that you I can't think of any other sport that's been able to do that from at all in the women's side of women's side of stuff. So I think that's that's really commendable. I, th I think you, I think it was you that raised this last time too, Emma. I mean, my default position is to think that everything's bleak in the world <laughs> because <laughs> coming from background in daily newspapers, that's what you look for. I think it was you last time you were on said we tend to not celebrate enough some of the positives. I was thinking about this when we spoke to Kari Webb a couple of weeks ago. The LPGA, in fact in terms of professional women's sports leagues, should be a shining light to every other women's sport. There have been women making a decent living playing professional golf, not as many as men, and there's all that, but there have been women making a decent living playing professional golf for the best part of 50 years. Mm -hmm. And we don't celebrate that enough, I guess, some, sometimes, do we? We always focus on, you know, how do we get better and better and better. Occasionally, we should stop and take a breath. I think it was you that raised that last time too, Emma. So berate me again because I fall into this habit of, being bleak about things. Tell me why things are better than I think they are. I th well, yeah, I think it probably was me, but I think I <laughs> do try across all, all levels of the game, try and look at some of the positives because you can focus a lot on the negatives that potentially happen at golf club level uh, through to the tour level. But I, I, it's it's a weird one. I, I don't know if I said it last time, but it's, it's the standing of women's golf within the women's sports space, which I find really interesting because, as you say, like – if you look at the top top earners in in women's sport, it's tennis players and and golfers. It's not your footballers. Uh, it's not your you know your soccer players in the states or even the football footballers over in here in England. Um, so it's really weird. They have we were having a discussion about this yesterday actually at Walton Heath. Like how how is it possible that these these elite you know obviously we're talking really with the LPGA players earning all this money, but they just don't have a standing, particularly in the women's sports space at all. They're not really talked about. It's almost like the game of golf is still viewed in such a way that even women can't, you know, break through that sort of stigma uh, in that sort of area. I do, I find it interesting that it doesn't mm. seem to get the credit it's due. It's interesting, isn't it, Jimmy? You got any thoughts on that? Because you think about Tiger Woods has done an enormous amount for golf in the last 25 years uh, for all sorts of reasons, one of them being his incredible and extraordinary talent and performances on course. 
kind of saw that a bit with Michelle Wee, didn't we, Jimmy? We, we see her hosting this tournament this week, but she didn't have the Tiger Woods career that I think a lot of us expected and hoped that she would have. Why do you think what Emma's talking about there is the case? I think she's right that even within sport, we don't think of women's golf as being a leading women's sport, but in fact it is. Why do you reckon that is, Jimmy? Well, I think there's a couple of things there. I think we probably within golf look at it comparatively with men's golf. So you under undervalue how good it is in terms of these how much money these players are making, but then understandably undervalue because against the men, they don't make enough money compared. So they should make more money based off what the men's money is. Or the men should make um, less. You could make an argument up both ways there. Anyway, yep. Absolutely. Yeah, you can. <laughs> But then beyond golf, I think if you look at the money in men's golf, men's professional golf now, and you think of how silly that amount of money is, I mean, I think Cam Smith was in Forbes' top 20 uh, athlete earners that was announced about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. The cut through of the fact that those men are making so much money now, comparatively against other sports, it may not be as strong as what women's golf is. But the cut through of those people into other sports in terms of, uh, you know, recognizable athletes and in terms of what they do and how much they make doesn't necessarily transfer as well. I mean, if you look at it in Australia as a microclimate, Cam Smith is one of our highest earning athletes, I would suggest. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And will be for a couple of generations after the paycheck he got to go to live. If, I, if, if Cam Smith was to come to Sydney today and I said to him, let's walk down the street and get a cup of coffee where I live. I don't think he'd be recognised once. If I was to grab a NRL rugby league player who's on $300,000 a year compared to what Cam's on and we walk down the street, he'd be stopped every five seconds. So I think it's a little bit of golf recognition as opposed to athlete recognition. Um, and I think part of that might be the LPGA's got such a good story, but the LPGA's been so focused on building their story and it is still so young as opposed to other established sports, you know, professional tennis and stuff was probably a bit further in front. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's probably just a bit of a golf thing. Uh, I think not unlike we're talking about with International Women's Golf Day, that it's this great concept and there's all these good parts to it, but selling it outside of ourselves is quite the difficult thing. I think that's the same with how um, impressive what the LPGA does and how much money these pe these players make is, is impressive, but selling it to other places is hard work. Yeah. And, of course, out of those two, only Cam could afford to buy real estate in Sydney, Jimmy, which is an important <laughs> point that you've uh, – Well, yeah, that's right. That's pretty true. Yeah. They're not too I th I, that, Yeah, I think, I think a few of our Australian women's players could probably afford to buy a place or two, but it'd be their only place, unlike it being Cam's 30th place, I'd suggest. Yeah, indeed. Like, you're looking very thoughtful there. You're pensive. What's rushing through your mind? Well, there's a, million, there's a million ways <laughs> I think this conversation can go, so which way would you take it? Yeah, I, look, there's uh, – there's a lot of misconceptions about golf, isn't there? And when I meet somebody who doesn't know anything about golf, I, I, I always ask them, you know, what, what's your impression of golf? And Before revealing that you are a golfer? <laughs> is, that a, is that a defense mechanism? Like, uh, a, like being a banker? You never say at a party that you work for a bank could, until you know what could, the landscape is? It could is. be, yeah. I mean, you don't want to I, – I, I tend to try and filter everything through the lens of golf, actually, because I, I find it, it is an interesting way to – to examine all sorts of topics, but um, with with that particular one, you know, it's immediately oh, it's just you know, a rich person sport is the lazy answer, and uh, you know, obviously we've got a lot of work to change that because honestly, nothing could be further well, nothing could be further from truth. Isn't quite that's overstating it, but it, it's pretty much a blue collar sport in Australia, the, even the, in America. Yeah, I mean, there's very well, it, the, club the, membership is much harder to attain in America, but isn't the it? The ratio but, of public golf or municipal golf in America to private golf is much higher than you would ever guess. Yeah, that's right, because uh, the public golf most is golf is played at golf. places like Van Cortlandt Park, as that's opposed right. to LA Country Club, where we're going to see the US Open. That's right. Weeks. Fortunately, in Australia, club membership is still accessible. Although I hear clubs talk about, oh, we've got to raise fees, and you ask, oh, why? What are you raising money for? to make it more exclusive. But that is their reason. That's the goal. Yeah. Which I find absolutely do you, staggering. Do you clean your monocle while you tell them that golf got a rich man's <laughs> game like? Or? Yeah. But, uh, look, I mean, the, the thing we have here, which I think we're very fortunate about, is that you can play golf as a member of a golf club in Sydney even for less than $1,500 a year. And that makes it a pretty cheap sport. Compared so to, like, even a gym membership 
is pushing up towards you know thousand dollars a year or something. Isn't kids' soccer outrageously expensive these days with the insurance, yeah. Jimmy? I'm not sure. If, I don't think oh yeah, young blokes at that well, age. My, yet, but... my, my young bloke does uh, AFL's Oz Kick program, which is outstanding. It's quite cheap. You pay your money for the year. You get a uniform, you get a footy, and you go every week. That's great. But he does things like karate, and you're up. You know, you're paying good money every single week. That. A lot more than what it cost when I was a kid to go play golf. You know, my dad dropped me down the public golf course. It cost five bucks for me to spend the day there, and he'd give me another five bucks to buy a Mars bar and a Coke, and you're away. Yeah. And you, so, and he, you weren't learning how to beat him up when you got to fifteen. Your, no, that's your, right. Your son's going right. to clobber you when he hits fifteen. Did you put or, raspberry or he, in the Coke as well? Like just supercharge it. Raspberry in the Coke. Yeah, get the raspberry. Like the, the little. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Emma, does all of this ring true for the UK as well? Does this sound like the UK? Because I think the cultures in golf are quite different globally. And I think Australia has a, no, not unique, but it's somewhat different to most. I think the culture in America is very different. What's it like in the UK? Is what we're talking about making sense to you or does it sound like a foreign planet? No, no, it makes sense. I, I, I'm not um, up on the stats of how many you know municipal courses we have compared to sort of member clubs, but the option is there. You don't have to be a member. I think there's a lot of you know, ways to be. So quite accessible to get to golf clubs. I don't think it has to be too expensive. I've always believed that. Obviously, if you want to take that stepping stone, the club that I'm a member of, for example, definitely views itself more sometimes as a stepping stone to a more prestigious club. But you can be quite happy there not having to spend, spending under £1,000 a year to be a member there. Um, There's also a lot more, you know, we've got a lot of golf societies and things like that you can join, which, you know, that becomes maybe a bit more of a financial or more viable option if you're not looking to spend loads of money on membership. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's a, it's a similar idea. Um, but again, it's what what it comes down to if you then want to become a member is is it's it's a lot of places have quite a rigid structure. I think that's where something needs to probably change a bit more. I know that a lot of people, and it's not just women, um, and we might have talked about this before, but that sort of flexible memberships, you know, Twilight Golf, those sorts of things that might appeal to people, you know, like an after hours sort of thing where you can come and play uh, in, in of an evening or late on in a, on a weekend. They don't really accommodate those sorts of memberships at a lot of golf clubs. I'm not saying all golf clubs, no, no. but that sort of thing appeals a lot more rather than having a five day or a seven day or, or something like that. You need to you need to have a few more options out there for people that don't have the time to, to or or want to have that monetary commitment to being yeah. a full member. In some ways, COVID is the worst thing that happened to the golf business because it took away a lot of the imperatives. There were clubs moving in these directions and exploring these things pre-COVID because they were watching the membership offering that they are offering was just not selling anymore. COVID kind of changed that. And we've, in some ways, the golf business has taken a step backwards. Em and I were talking about this before we, well, before you arrived with coffee and cakes, Logue. The business model in golf yeah, is somewhat unique, isn't it? Yeah, there's cake. You, yeah. you should have been here, Jimmy. Yeah. You reckon you got fire inspection at your place? We're on fire here with the cakes. Uh, vegan the, cakes too, Jimmy. Yeah, that's right. He specially ordered vegan cakes yeah. and then you didn't turn it's, it's, pr- it's pronounced vegan. <laughs> Get out of here. The business model in golf, Logue, strikes me as somewhat unique where because of the relationship between the customer, the existing member, the management, those who are running the club, and then the potential for new members is all very somewhat confused. It's one of the few businesses I can think of where the business owner dictates almost 100% what it is that they'll allow you to buy from them. And if you don't like it, bad luck. We just won't sell it to you. It's a bizarre business, isn't it? Yeah, and so much of it, the consumer has to work it out in a weird way, like just how you interact with a golf course. Like I've, I've said this so many times, but when you go 10-pin bowling – it's a very weird little ritual that you do to go 10-pin bowling to, like, get the, the silly shoes that they give you. I can't get them to fit me. I'm able to go 10-pin bowling since I was six years old. That's my feet are too yeah. big. I, I, you're, you're also not getting your thumb in. <laughs> and my thumb doesn't fit in most of the, the – you've got to go- find the special ball that my thumb oh, will fit my in goodness. as well. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a whole other thing. But, yeah, the that whole ritual of – and then how you do the score. It's got this complex scoring system with, a with a with like, a screen that you've got to operate and all that sort of stuff. And people work it out. Having never been ten pin bowling before in their life, they work it out, and it's it's a inviting and simple sort of process. Even though it's quite a complex series of steps you need to go through, golf is arguably simpler, but it's so intimidating. Like those steps that you've got to go through, it's com- golf courses are horrendously signposted. I mean, because it's all set up for members first and foremost. Yeah, 
and like locals driving the local streets. They don't need street signs. Yeah. They know where to go. But if you come from out of the area, it's like, what's going on here? Exactly. And the layout of every golf course is different, of course. And you know, who knows how you get? Like, you have to go to the. First of all, you just got to, you've got to go to the pro shop first. Oh, okay. Like, who knows that? Where is the pro shop? Yeah, where is it's generally the pro hidden shop? around the other side of a building? It's generally somewhere not the front it. of the building no. and all that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think so much of what you you're talking about with, you know, membership and exclusivity and all that sort of stuff that Logue started with and it's you come a new person, I've seen it so many times with people come into golf who aren't from golf. So particularly when I was on the northern beaches of Sydney and running a, a driving range and all this sort of stuff, you get people who come in, particularly guys who were surfers and they're looking for something to do when the waves were flat. They'd come and hit golf balls, they'd show some natural ability, they'd get really into it. Then they go, where do I go play? Oh, go down a long reef or go down a whatever and go and play. They go and play. They have a great time. Then they go, oh, well, um, I want to play more. So, they join one of the public tracks or semi-private tracks and they start playing golf there and they love it and they meet the members and all that sort of stuff. Then they get a chance to go and play one of the private go- golf courses and they, f- they see it as better because it's in better condition and all this sort of stuff. It's more expensive. So, then they join there and you see this guy maybe two years down the track and you talk to him about his golf and he's now a member of a private golf club. He now is fully bought into that private golf club Mm. model, falls into knowing where everything is and if it takes a guest, doesn't take them through like they're a beginner because golf is so streamed that it's this really open thing at the top and then suddenly it just funnels into be this really tight sort of model once you get into the private sort of side of things that everyone just falls into line with it. It's so rare that someone I think is – is maybe a member of a private club or whatever, but sees it as the way Logue's talking about it. I mean- A lot of know. renegades in golf, is there, Jimmy, when you think about no, it? No, there's not. There's, there's You you buy in, Into. basically. And and I think that's, that's where you're talking about the COVID problem. I think that's probably part of it, that so many people came in and it was just kind of this, oh, we need everyone and we're open to everyone. And then, oh, we're strong again, so you need to now fall into what we've always had, um, which- is probably part of the problem of the external view or even the people we bring in that then hit that first roadblock. You hit that first roadblock, you're kind of done a lot of the time. Not everybody wants to go that next step, do they? They they, they don't fall in love with the game first and then accept that there's the parameters around it and then come to enjoy that or or accept and then that's just how- They'll learn. They'll learn. Yeah, Yeah. they'll learn. That's the the kind of the way it's kind of thought of, right? But you just, you'll learn and you'll be, you'll understand how that works and- um, I think that's kind of disappointing, really. Um, in, in some ways, I- although the question then becomes, doesn't it, Emma, if there's enough of a market for that, if golf that sells that product can sustain itself, what's the problem? Who are we in golf to be bitching that it's not the way forward? Well, I think the problem is, is what we keep being told is about the ageing membership, isn't it? Um you know, we, it's almost poor, these poor older people in the golf club that we seem to be worried they're going to fall off their perch tomorrow and we've got to replace them and make sure we've got a younger market coming through. Um, I'm still, a, a, I'm still, I'm not on the fence is the wrong thing, but I'm still, I think we, again, we talked about this before, like, you know, we've got to value those 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 members we have in place and try and make sure that the, the product we've got for them is, is right. But also you've got to be looking to attract a newer market but maybe maybe not as young as sometimes we try and aim for i think the age thing is interesting if golf was to target those who seem to be drawn to it more naturally let's say starting from 40 to mid 40s and up it's a time in life when golf becomes either an option for the first time or a return to golf becomes viable for people between careers and kids and all those sorts of things but they're almost the demographic that golf has gone out of its way to ignore in a business sense and a marketing sense. And I really think that's a mistake. There is a rich vein of golfers waiting to happen in that mid thirties to 50 at every sporting club that isn't golf around the world. Because most of those people are looking for some sort of a competitive outlet as their knees and shoulders and hips give out. And golf is something they can do. We've all met the golfer who took it up at 40 and thought it was for old people and laments that they didn't take it up when they were yeah. in their teens because it's by far the most satisfying sport they've ever played. And we don't sell that to those people who would buy it. If you and look at all the sports people, I mean, every soccer player, cricket player, baseball player, they're all mad keen golfers when they're not doing their own sport. 
but golf seems to ignore it. It's, a, it's always struck me as a weird thing because they want this 18 to 35 idea. You've got to fill the place with young people. And in so many ways, that doesn't really fit golf. I've never had a problem with golf being considered an old-person sport because old people have to do something. Nothing wrong with it being golf. I was going to wonder, but my, my thought is when when's enough? When do we get to a point where we say, right, we've got enough people? Is there ever going to be a limit to the number of people we want to have playing golf? Because to me, you know, if your if your tea times are full and you're, you know, obviously you're still actively recruiting at that time as well. You know, it's almost like we want everybody, we want everyone to be a golfer, and it's you know not everyone's going to be a golfer at, at the end of the day. Um, I just find it interesting to see like when do we when do we not necessarily stop the drive because obviously we'll always want to recruit, but what is that magic? What is it? Is it just full courses everywhere? Is that is that what we're aiming for? I, I, I always find that, that quite interesting There's as well. Nothing worse than not being able to get a team no, or being on a full but, golf but, course. Well, that's, <laughs> I think that's a fascinating metric that we don't examine a lot in golf is the ratio of golfers per course mm-hmm. in, a, in a country. Um, like Australia's got an abundance of golf courses, 1,500 golf courses. A lot of them are a lot more basic than people would imagine. Uh, you know, so it's not all Royal Melbourne. Do yeah, you? people from outside Australia. There's yeah. not a Royal Melbourne on every corner. Yeah, in fact, almost half of those fifteen hundred courses in Australia would be you'd be staggered at how sort of basic they are. Um, just you know, mowing paddocks and things. Um, but that said, you know, golf finds a way. It's it's because Australia is such a big country that you don't want to be you know people want to play golf and they don't want to drive two hours to a golf course. So golf finds a way and and. You know, rises up in the most obscure of places. Um, wh- one thing I've noticed, uh, I think you mentioned last week, rather, I've just come back from Denmark. Uh, Denmark has quite a high ratio of golfers per course, um, which I think is very successful metric. Um, they've only got about 180, 190 golf courses in Denmark. But the thing that absolutely I find completely staggering, they've got almost 120 of those courses have a little nine-hole pitch and putt uh-huh. associated with them, which is more pitch and putts, I think, that there'd be in the whole of Australia with yeah. 1,500 golf courses. Yeah. Um, they, It's just a way of doing things there is they always build a little pitch and putt next to the golf course. So there's, a, there's like 120 of those facilities. And one of the things they, they sort of market those as pay-and-play facilities generally where you don't have to be a golfer. You can just turn up and... And play the pitch and, and, play the pitch and putt. Right. Um, but it, it also, staggeringly, a lot of clubs keep their pitch and putt to be a members-only thing. They don't yeah. they don't see it as a thing. But it's, it is a fantastic facility that they've got there, which they just need to sort of convince clubs to say, okay, use that as the way to get people into golf. Um, but, yeah, it's also a great outlet for that sort of afternoon golf as well, just for a quick – a quick round you were talking about twilight. You don't have to have a full bag and trolleys and all the nonsense that goes yeah. with it. You can just grab a couple of clubs and a few balls and a tee in your pocket and away you go. And it also keeps the ageing golfers yeah. in the game for longer because, you know... And it's, off the golf course. It's usually... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. So it, it think... gives them away. But it's, an, it's they've got, funnily enough, they've got more land to work with over there because they kind of use the whole country and Australia's, you know, either metropolitan courses where it's all everything's locked in by housing or country courses Rural, yeah. which are very spread out but don't you don't typically allocate enough land for more than 18 holes when when a golf course gets approved in australia um so i don't know it, it's I always find that fascinating. 120 out of 190 golf courses have a pitch and putt. that's really as quite my own it's a lost opportunity jimmy That's one of the things Australian golf, particularly Sydney golf, has done so poorly is other facilities to allow people to bring new golfers in. I mean, if you think of golf courses in Sydney, even a practice fairway and short game area is a rarity. And that's where you learn. That's where you start. You know, so even, you know, a little public course, if it had a little chipping and pitching area to take a kid to, that's how they start. That's how they, they become, you know, a golfer. And that's I, I really like what Golf Australia here has done with their participation stuff that if you engage with golf, you're a golfer. Not a member, but you're a golfer. Mm. I think that language is super important. Um, I think I've been talking about that for a long time, that if you go to a driving range, you are engaging in golf, you're a golfer. You know, it's that's that's golf. You've had a touch point with golf. Now that helps sell the game to state governments, to everyone. When you say there's 2.7 million, I think, golfers in Australia, it makes us one of the largest participation sports. Mm. And as much as 
people like myself may not fall into the membership model that used to be the metric. As we say, like, yeah, there might be older population in the membership. They're still there and they're still important. So, we can't scrap that. So, we need to still focus on member numbers. But at the current way it's going, the membership model's not going anywhere. But in 20, 30 years, mm. I don't foresee people my age now becoming members necessarily of golf clubs. They'll play golf. They'll go and play a lot of golf and they'll play nice golf course. I don't foresee them joining the same club and going and doing different things. I think it's a it's a um, generational shift in how they engage in any sort of sport and any sort of activity or recreation. Um, and then it'll shift. But as it currently stands, that, you know, that the people we talk about has been older and we probably don't uh, appreciate enough for keeping golf where it is. Uh, still want to be members of golf clubs and it'll change, but you know, well, that'll take a long time before that model changes. Well, under the Roger Mitchell model, they'll only be watching nine or even four holes of tournament golf a week. They're not going to be watching the rest of it. So there's a real shift in. <laughs> well, there's, <laughs> there's, not, there's the same thing shifting in all parts of you know, society. Of, you know, you used to be a person who watched only ABC News, for example. That was your where you got your news. People get their news from all different sources. People like to go to different places and engage in different things. And that's I certainly find that with the people I deal with in golf in a younger capacity, that it's only younger elite players who want to join a club and go and do the same thing. The the other just, you know, recreational golfer wants to go and play different places and see different things and, and doesn't want to become – they only become a member to get a handicap so they can play competition golf. Oh, let's, so well, let's not open that can of words, we? Well, which is, is way too big in Australia, we, as we all agree. Speaking of, of young, Emma has a little initiative. <laughs> uh, she's she's partaking at the moment of playing 40 golf courses by the age of 40. Time's ticking. How, how's that going? I know. Um, Jeez, that's well, a nice done. way to put it, Logue. Time's ticking. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Jesus. <laughs> TikTok. Yeah, that's right, Emma. Your, your, your knees are going to give out soon, so you better get on with it. How is it going? Well, I did, I, did, I did actually put my back out last week, so uh, I think that's a sign of the times, to be fair. I couldn't actually walk <laughs> last Wednesday, so that's a good, that's a good sign, my, my golf game. Um, no, so, yeah, the idea is to try and play 40 different courses by December. My birthday is just before Christmas. Um, and I think maybe I've taken on more than I imagined. <laughs> <laughs> the, weather, the weather's been as well in, in the UK. weather's been absolutely horrendous until about two weeks ago, so... Um, I've had to load quite a few into uh, and quite a number of weeks of May and um, also hold down my regular day job sitting in front of my computer. So it's been quite um, a juggling act. But yesterday was, um, as you mentioned, the uh, AIG Women's Open Media Day at Walton Heath. So that was number 15 okay. of 40, which Ooh, still sounds like hardly any. Um, and the idea behind it as well is to try and showcase the fact that it's not just about playing 18 holes, but again, so a lot of the ones I've done so far have been 18 holes and I'm not an 18 hole golfer. I'm much more of a nine hole type person. So yeah, the idea hopefully will be that it will be showcasing, um, you know, would one of them will definitely be on a driving range. We've got to do one indoors as well. Some of the indoor side of stuff, look at some of the pitch and putts and things too, because um, I think going back to what Jimmy said as well, what, what is the definition of yeah. a golfer? Any, any I want golf to is explore golf. that. Yeah. You know, that, I'm still a golfer. So I sort of said 40 rounds by 40 and I wish I'd sort of called it, I keep going back to calling it courses now because obviously a round of golf has got a, a stigma associated to it as well. But um, I've got some got some more lined up in the next few weeks, but yeah, 40 is looking quite daunting <laughs> at the moment. I think I might be, might be December and I'm going to be going around in like a woolly hat and like 17 layers just trying to play with my local golf courses to, to get there. But um I've heard yeah, a lot we'll of see. excuses I've got, uh, there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've, had, I've had some good, to be fair, I've had some really good courses. I got to play Royal, Royal Troon the other week, which is unbelievable. So that's the open venue for 24, which was the 2020 AIG Women's Open venue. Uh, I've played Dundonald. I've obviously played the 2023 AIG Women's Open venue at Walton Heath yesterday and many other great venues. Prince's is also on there coming up as well. So, oh, you're you know, and and if I'm lucky enough and can afford the flights over the media trip for um, the Solheim Cup means I could actually play Finca, which would be pretty cool. No. So I'm, I, I am definitely taking advantage of my position in the industry to go and play some pretty epic places because, you know, regular, a regular golfer just off the street wouldn't probably be able to get to access to some of the places I've been able to. So I'm very, very um, lucky in that. It's the only reason to be in the industry, Emma, truth be told, <laughs> because the rest of I, it's just like a normal job. <laughs> I, I'm on my yeah, way to well, a, I'm, 
I'm on my way to an Australian Open Media Day today. That'll be my second game for this year, so I'm not quite on the same pace. Yeah. I've got to find some golf clubs before I go. Yeah, well, I think the thing is as well is it, it sort of looked like I was just on a jolly uh, thing because <laughs> like going off on my little adventure. But it really was hopefully my idea is to be vlog- blogging it, it's putting on our social media at Women and Golf and also just to not every venue, but obviously have a women's connection, women's golf connection to to all of them as much as possible and to have interviews and extend it beyond that. So there are some... Talk about the game. Man. Trying to keep on top, yeah. keep it... Oh, keep, no, let's not talk about my game. You're talking about no, my no, game. No, no, I'm talking about the game, which oh, is really important to the game. We talked so much about professional golf and all those sorts of things only. We have so much of the public discussions about that sort of stuff. Such a minuscule part of the game in reality. Some of the people you'll meet, I guarantee you, will knock your socks off, Emma, while you undertake this project. It's always wow. the case that you meet people in golf as like, wow, that's an amazing story. Yeah, well, like, uh, um, not to just name drop, probably a couple of name drops, but I, I just desperately wanted to go over to Ireland um, because I had I found out that my great great aunt was the lady captain of Malone Golf Club in, over in Belfast in 1937. Wow! So I found this out and I was like, I've got to go there. So that was really cool. I did that at the beginning of May, met the lady captain, played the course, and it was just it wasn't quite the same course that she would have played, but it was just cool to make that association, yeah. and then. On a complete flip side, um, going back to yesterday, and I don't think I, if I'm honest with you, I didn't quite appreciate sort of the company I was keeping, should I say, but um, coming onto our table to sit at lunchtime was Jill Thornhill, who um, is the president at the moment at Walton Heath. And I, I knew I'd heard the name, hadn't really researched enough about it, but she won the um, British Amateur, uh, Women's British Amateur back in 83, significantly the year I was born um, and she's 80 now she was out on the course yesterday and she won that when she was 40 so I was like well there you go like all these things but she's played three Curtis Cups and I'm sitting in like this sort of golfing royalty and I didn't even really fully appreciate until I got home and really thought about it like you know what are the chances these opportunities to meet some really interesting people and that's just two instances of, of things that have happened uh, in this year there's been so many people I've met already so I'm very lucky yeah and until the moment you said you were going to blog about it and do some stuff and whatever, it was very low guest playing a whole <laughs> lot of golf on junkets, <laughs> just travelling around and playing really good golf courses. Oh, and, the joys know, of not being working, flexing a year, position right? to get a yeah, good golf, a good tea time. And it's, I've just, it, I've just done it for the gram. That's what I've done yeah, that's for right. Instagram. That's what I'm doing it for. I, yeah, I <laughs> Let do me what take I have to do. Me on a great golf course. That's what yeah, I'm doing. that's right. That's all I'm there for selfies. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> you've mentioned it a couple of times, and I do want to talk about it. Walton Heath. I am looking mm. for. I'm really looking forward to watching the women play the US Women's Open at Pebble Beach, but we're very familiar with Pebble Beach. Walton Heath is one of the world's great golf courses that we almost never see. I think they played a British Masters there a couple of years ago, but it's yeah. been off the European Did tour schedule. One, I, think. I think so, yeah, for years and years and years. Have you been to Walton Heath? Like? No, I haven't. No. I am intrigued to see this golf course, and this ties yeah. into something else which ties into, I think, International Women's Golf Day, which is this elevation. We've talked about it quite a bit now it's been a number of years has been happening for this elevation of women's professional events to golf courses that are really special and prestigious tell us a bit about walton heath and the playing experience yesterday Emma, because it just looks phenomenal from all the pictures i've said i've not been there but it's one of those courses that you'd put on a bucket list i just would love to go to walton heath what was it like yesterday yeah, well, we we got treated to quite reasonable conditions, I would say. It was quite windy, which actually I guess I didn't really expect to have so much wind because you obviously think like obviously Lynx Golf and Muirfield last year right, and it's yeah. sort of on the coast. Um, but it's certainly got its, um, I've been told by the people that it's got almost its own little microclimate. So you end up with, in the winter, you can end up with snow on the hill because it's water on the hill and you go down into the village and there's, you know, there's no, no not similar sort of weather conditions. Um, it's extremely open when you get out onto the course and um, a bit like they did, I assume, I think it's the same as they did for the British Masters. They've got sort of a composite course. So you're not actually going to see them play the first of the old course because that then you'd have to then cross the road. Um, so they've sort of got a, a set up there where it's um, they're starting on the second hole um, and then they're not playing the third hole. But so the fourth hole becomes a second hole. It's a little bit. It's like Rob Who can like keep that. up with what's what? <laughs> no, but and but then they're basically what they're doing is they're they're not playing the first and the third of the old course, and they're going to incorporate the twelfth and thirteenth of the new into the circuit. I can't remember which holes it's going to be of the course, um, but we got to play the old course yesterday, and it was it was just fantastic. And um, 
I mean, it's tough. It's definitely going to be really tough, I would say, for anyone having to, well, any any amateur, it's pretty tough. But for the pros, obviously, they're going to be hitting an even longer course. It's going to be really, really tricky. Um, also, I was told, you know, when the weather gets warmer, the heather's going to bloom. It's going to look even more fantastic than it did yesterday. So um, I think the only thing I will say is that people might want to. Jimmy's inspection is clearly taking place in the back. The fire inspection's occurring. This is live. Uh, didn't mute it. We'll just didn't get him to mute. Did you, did you pass the inspection, Jimmy? I've got to get a new fire ex- uh, fire uh, smoke detector. Oh, no. Is that, oh. is that installation going to happen while we're here? No. Apparently, oh, it's not happening shame. right away. It's got to be approved. Apparently, it's going to be thermal. It's exciting. Oh, yeah, forget okay, what okay. Heath, we're into the real stuff now. Emma, as one who's not got uh, a deep love of golf course architecture the way myself and Logue and Jimmy uh, kind of do, when you go and play at a place like Walton Heath, can you tell it's special? Oh, yeah. I definitely think you can definitely tell the the difference between now I'm so experienced at all the different courses I've played this year, all 15 of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, you could definitely see the, the difference. And there's just something about, I think I said to you earlier in a message, because also it's about the, it's not just about the course. It's about, for me, it's 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 the clubhouse. It's the walking through the sort of history. I like all that side of things. So did you visit the Renshaw room? In uh, Walton? Yes. The rental room? And it's all been, and the whole interior of the clubhouse has been renovated uh, this year. So it's all new look of paint, new sort of carpets and chairs and all that sort of stuff. So I was saying it's got quite a modern feel inside, but you've also got that sort of, you can see the history right there on the walls, the paintings, and obviously in that room, you've got all the sort of memorabilia and everything and all the golf balls and everything behind cabinets with all the sort of descriptions. So you definitely have that sort of, historical side which i really enjoy but also that sort of embracing the modern sort of game so we're all you know you can wear your golf shoes in the in the clubhouse uh, and all that sort of stuff <laughs> you're not going to see anyone roll over and, and keel over if you, if you do that and but it is just it's it's in, it's gonna be interesting i think because a lot of people will probably try and um you know think of um when when the rico is at, at woburn and, and that sort of side of things i think it's a it is completely different from there so you know it, you know there, there is probably something about it that it's um you know having it as a uh, what's i going to say having it as a as a, a, a not not a links course there's probably something about mm. that that people might want to criticize you know it's not links you know it's not it's mm. an open they play there be a links it plays course. linksy though right because it's all firm yeah it's that Loamy, it really does, sandy and soil. I think it's going to firm up, and it, and it's just literally impossible to keep. Already, it was impossible to keep your ball like on the green. It just just would run straight off the back and things already. So imagine once you've got some summer weather, it's dried out more. Um, you know, I think it's going to be quite a challenge. Um, and I think also just to mention the fact that 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 the RNA is really trying to shift the way it well in my opinion they're trying to shift the way it's looked it's not meant to be the women's version of the open which i think is really important it's going to have its own it's having its own identity it's you know we've got we've got live music this year which is obviously something that we've seen at many different golf tournaments um but from a women's golf perspective it's something different will it attract on the saturday a younger market will it attract more um more women and 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 also more families to come along and watch um i think that's going to be an interesting you know look at that because of in my mind when you look at what happened at the women's um cricket world cup obviously down in australia katy perry had headlined and we had all these probably katy perry fans coming along to watch cricket but they at the end of the day they were watching the cricket so how many of those maybe were did they, Invert they, a little bit. So then you, what you want to know is did they go on to play cricket or take an interest in cricket beyond just No, that? I know. But I, no, no, I'm I not saying they don't. I'm just saying it, so it, I, there's, interesting, there's interesting theories about that, I think. I think you're right. Um, if but I, it's I just that I did. Sorry, Jimmy. I, I love that Emma mentioned that the RNA trying to find its own identity for this event. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate the idea of, oh, well, it's the women's version of the Open, so we do it exactly mm-hmm. the same way. Mm-hmm. And no, it's a completely different tournament. It's its own important tournament with its own history and its own identity. Um, you know, I think they're trying to do that now with the US Women's Open as well. Just not make it, you know, facsimile version, but for women. I think that's so important. And I think the RNA has done it 
better in the last couple of years than probably any women's golf event, which is so good to see. And to use places like Walton Heath that get people like us excited to walk, watch and talk about this tournament that is going to be one of the better ones to watch all year, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think the real focus, obviously, apart from obviously – there was, a, there was a lot of chat yesterday a little bit about pri- – they mentioned prize funds quite a few times, which which makes me wonder whether it's going to obviously be increased again um, this year. But it was it's the fan experience they're really going for. Um, you know, they're, they're bringing they're, – they're, they're aligning things. They're going to have a, a goal fit. It's um, is a is an area that they, it's a that some it's a a facility they're opening up in in up in Scotland, but they're bringing that idea of that coaching area down to the Women's Open, sort of align some of their other things that they're doing within the organisation, um, and it's it's things like that I think they're quite interesting that they're really, you know, street food and and cocktails and all sorts of different things you just wouldn't normally get at a men's. Um, championship event. It, they, they are trying it. They've 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 researched it. They believe it's going to be the right thing to do. So there's going to be talks on stages and things like that stuff that I've never seen. At, you know, never seen this at a women's open uh, before. Uh, and it's always the fan area has always been a bit disappointing, if I'm honest. Yeah, absolutely. Last year, it's, so. <laughs> it's been the least interesting part of any golf tournament. Yeah, yeah. If, and they're really making an effort. Yeah. You make it a day out and you, you happily bring your kids along or you bring your friends along who aren't golfers and they get to see it and maybe hit a golf shot or maybe just watch a golf shot or see a player and the and the women, the LPGA players are so good at walking past and smiling or saying hi to a kid who just falls in love with the idea and falls in love mm. with that player. Yeah, rare to see an LPGA yeah. player take to a microphone on a tee because they're not happy with the shot they've just hit. Uh, here's an interesting rabbit hole that I'd like to go down but not try not to spend too long because we must let him go. It's getting very late at night over there. You're mm-hmm. talking about the RNA trying to uh, create an identity for the Women's Open that isn't just attached to the men. We're doing the complete opposite here in Australia, the Australian Men's and Women's Opens together to create a joint event. What's your take on that, Emma? What do you think about that? Well, I've heard all, I've heard what you guys have said all about it, but uh, from from, from we're not always right. You can have a different opinion. We're not always right. <laughs> I think I I think it's I I thought it was a good idea from from the perspective of of trying to get I I I, I still feel that although I would love it to be women's golf that is the main attraction, you have to admit that it's the guys that tend to pull in the crowd. So if you manage to pull in more people to come and spectate the women's women's part of the tournament because you're because you, you've got the elite men there as well then then that's all but a good thing because again you've got the idea of having more eyeballs on women's golf I'm obviously looking at more from a women's golf perspective but the only thing I guess was the scheduling you know the idea that you couldn't have as many of the or having the idea of being co-sanctioned obviously when it when you could have had more of the LPGA players there and things like that the more high profile players but then you end up with the same winner that we had at the AOG Women's Open at 2022. So, you know, with Ash Buhai winning, again, it was a good, good winner. It was it was high profile enough, um, I would say. So, but I don't think you can judge it on one year. You no, no. That, more than one year, so think, one start So to clarify, it. I've always thought the concept is good. I'm not convinced about it as a national open. I'm a bit in the Scott Hen camp that thinks that the national opens both deserve their own platform. But given that we know... The commercial realities are for Golf Australia. This is what sponsors are more interested in. I get all of that. So I, I, the concept, I think, is good. It's about execution and some of the logistical problems, and some of them may not be able to be overcome, and that scheduling one is a huge one for the women's event. So the announcement yesterday, the women's field has been reduced to 84. The cut, which was extremely controversial amongst most, certainly amongst the players and the fans, this idea of two cuts, which at the Vic Open is not a problem because the Vic Open is not the National Open. People were quite upset about that last year, so they've sort of changed that. But they're some of the issues, I think, that make it really difficult. Doesn't mean it's not necessarily viable, but it's an extraordinarily difficult thing to pull off, particularly when you've got to try and scheduling in either men's or women's golf is bad enough. Trying to find somewhere on the calendar to have a joint event that can have a good field of each, almost impossible. And and that's the issue. So what you don't want to happen is that the women's open becomes kind of a secondary um, element to the men's open. And there's a danger of that. If it's part of a building process, I accept that. And then in five years' time, we'll have a situation where the two fields are uh, world-class, fantastic. But, but there's issues around sort of getting there, I think. So I'm a, I, I support the concept, I do, I, but I'm not convinced that it can necessarily work logistically with everything else that has to happen to allow it to 
It ticks uh, almost every box, but that date is a <coughs> big box. If, you, it's not if you shift it yeah. to February where the Women's Open used to be, you have issues about men players being able to get back to Australia to play. So it doesn't matter which way you look, you've got hurdles that may not be overcomable, no matter how hard you work. And that's there's dangers in that, I think. So look, it's innovative, it's bold. I would not like to be the person trying to organise it. I, th- I think from – I was at that announcement yesterday and I had 10 minutes with James Sutherland afterwards and chatted about it all. And I think having been critical of parts of it last year when we all had our say, I was sort of impressed that they've worked with the two-cut to one-cut mm-hmm. issue because that was the biggest problem, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and they've addressed it. And he was quite frank. He said, you know, I, when we went into this last year, he goes, I'm going to tell you, I held my breath the entire week. This was the first time we were doing it without an agency running the event and and we're making such a major change and that we saw enough success. And then the conversation kind of went with, so it's the little things that you think it was good and this and that you're going to change. And he said, yeah, it's going to keep changing mm-hmm. because – it's got to, and, and, and scheduling and, and where it's played is all part of that. Mm. Um, I think that issue about scheduling is always going to fall, but you know, can you imagine if having done it last year and having had what they perceived as success from stakeholders and everything like that, having had the criticism of people in the industry, if they just abandoned it and gone, oh, yeah, it's not going to work, oh, yeah, that's, put them back up again. That's not an option. We, that's not an option. Not an option. So- um, and I think uh, I think the scheduling stuff is probably getting harder and harder. Very but much. they need to now kind of ride out this wave because they need to see how the PGA Tour scheduling is going to fall when it moves to uh, a calendar-based schedule. They need to also see what's going to happen with Liv and then also on the women's side about, you know, exactly how the LET scheduling is going to move forward and what's going to happen with, you know, the LPGA scheduling and, it's never going to be ideal, but I suppose if you use this concept to then make it a bit stronger business case to get more money from sponsors and from government identities, you can potentially push to do what Jeff Ogilvy always said was make the event as good and as big as possible for the players and they'll come no matter where it is and when it is. It'll be something that other things schedule around. Correct. Yeah. That, I think that, that's, <laughs> that's where I kind of fall on this now is – where if we're going with this model, you know, just just shifting, I was such a big proponent for the men's tournament moving to the start of the year and trying to do, but it's realistically just now that's even harder, I think. Um, Ash Buhai even said it last year after she won. She said the scheduling's really hard, but I just wanted to come play. Um, I think I think it, we have to realise if our focus is on our Australian players, well, they'll probably come play regardless at that period from the women's side and, and that's where we're going to get it and then we'll, we have to build it through other ways. We'll find out this year if that's the case, won't we? This um, yeah. second year, yeah, yeah. Look, it's interesting. No, nobody wants Australian golf in the Australian Open to succeed more than those of us who are fans of Australian golf. That doesn't yeah. mean that it's that you can just wave a magic wand and do it. They, they've they've got real issues to overcome, and I hope they can overcome them. Uh, but I think there's been some positive. What they announced yesterday, I think, was a positive, Jimmy. Um, so do I. I I, I think. That was I. I took all that as very positive, you know. And there's no, uh, there's one more. I think one more year of this Sydney deal left over that they've kind of inherited in their in in their old management agreement. And and so look, uh, they look to be taking things at face value and taking on things. I mean, Rod, you and I did a podcast with James Sutherland after we were critical of the tournament. And he's and he got in touch and said, "I want to come in and talk about it." And he certainly and did. answer some of your questions. <laughs> he certainly did. We, yeah, yeah. We had an episode without James, and then we had an episode with James. With James after, which yeah. is how those things are supposed to work. Emma, I can see you're going to nod off shortly, and as you should, because it's very late. No, I'm not. You've been way more than generous with your time. It's been fabulous to catch up with you again. We didn't talk enough about Walton Heath, but we can chat about that independently. What's your sense of the women's British Open? this year is it going to be something special feels like from the outside it might be to me i look at the five major tournaments coming up across the men's and women's game between now and august this is the one it's the last one it's the one i'm looking forward to the most i'm finding the most intriguing yeah i'm, I'm excited for it i think but for me it's from the whole round expect um experience yeah. so i'm really looking forward to seeing it as a spectator but also obviously from from the golf itself so you know, it, it's it's something they're all going to be excited for. I mean, when Ash Buhai was talking yesterday, 
they're not going to have played it. You know, they're literally on a run from Evian. Then they've yeah. got the women's uh, Scottish at Dundonald and they're coming straight down. So she's going to get to look at it on the, on the Monday or the Tuesday. So to predict who's going to, you know, tackle it the best, it's oh. going to be really hard to tell. But I think it's going to be great. I think it's definitely going to be very different from Muirfield. And hopefully, in fact, there wasn't really much chat. I thought it was going to be more chat around the, the issues with Muirfield last year, which there wasn't. So I think it's quite nice. They've got none of the, there's no politics this year. So it should be quite interesting just to actually like focus on the golf for sure. Well, take care of your back so that you can take part in the dancing at the various concerts and whatnot at the Women's Open. So well, look okay. after yourself. I'm going to take my girls along to it. <laughs> so you can be a it. part of that. It's been fabulous of you, of you to join us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jimmy, been great to have you and the fire inspector along for at least part yeah, of the podcast. Yeah, that was really exciting. Yeah, really excited. Really exciting. Yeah. And then you're getting a new th- – well, we're going to have to keep up t- – we're going to have to follow that story up when you get your – That's it. It's, it's an episode of itself. Thanks for uh, joining us today, mate. Been great to have you along. And Logue, always good to have you along. Thanks for uh, Thanks, being part of it. We're going to partake in these cakes as soon as this is over. We are. Don't go away, Jimmy. Yep. You can sit and watch. That is, yep. is that is a huge box of cakes. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> it really is. I'm it's not an... there. I'm not there for one day, mm-hmm. and there's just a cake. That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Logue goes away for an episode. We win an award. So you know, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. Right. Take your pick. Pick your poison. Right. That's it for episode 145 of the Good Good Podcast. We will, of course, be back to do it all again next week here on Good Good.